Friends, as we know, finding hope in complicated and heavy topics is no easy task. But our friends at Thistle Farms are on a mission to do just that. I'm so excited to introduce you to Thistle Farms today. It's a social justice enterprise that provides women survivors of trafficking and addiction with two years of housing, trauma therapy, and healthcare as they learn job and leadership skills through their work in the social enterprise making candles and bath and body products. The money from the sale of the products supports the program, including income the women can use to restart their lives. This is why when you buy a Thistle Farms gift set, lotion, essential oil, handmade leather bag, or candle, you're not just toting around a cute bag or lighting a beautiful candle, you're joining a vigil of hope that supports life change. So visit thistlefarms.org to start shopping these high quality hope creating products. I think you'll really like them. And just for our listeners, Thistle Farms wants you to enjoy 15% off your purchase. So enter where we are at checkout. That's W-E-A-R, we are, all one word, to receive 15% off your purchase. Together, let's cut through the darkness by treating ourselves and those we love to candles and more products that are made and that glow with hope. On this week's episode of Where We Are, does the mere thought of voting fill you with such anxiety that you need to go out to the store, maybe Hobby Lobby, maybe Things Remembered, (laughs) and buy one of those little boxes with the sand and the rake so that you can calm yourself via rake? (laughs) Is that you? Are you out there? If so... Well, we have an episode for you. We have an episode for you. We're going to help you think about... We're going to be your rake. (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, on how to vote like a Christian. You're listening to Where We Are. We are the Where's. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And uh, this podcast is part of the That Sounds Fun Network. We love being part of this network. Uh, Hope y'all are not just, uh, obviously, I mean, you're listening now, so you're listening to Where We Are. Urge you to check out some of the other great shows, but uh, we're now basically a month in. We are. And so, what fun has it been? You know, as much fun as we had uh, with the opening, and we had to record several. We had to record it so many times. Several we versions. Stop laughing. You know, don't want to give anything away, but if you hang on for this episode, you may hear some of the uh, some of the openings that did not make the cut. If you haven't figured it out already, sometimes we put bloopers at the end of the podcast. We do, we do, and for those of you who hang with us past the outro music and hear the bloopers and email us about the bloopers uh you're 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 our real real ones ones. (laughs) wow Wow. we've been married a long time time. um 
But this episode, uh, so on Sunday, last Sunday, I had the real pleasure, as we told you in last week's episode, was able to speak at a church, lovely church in Connecticut, really grateful for them, and was just reminded of how earnestly faithful people are asking questions about how, not just how to vote in terms of what candidate do you vote for, and really that isn't the pressing thing for many Christians. For many Christians, it's not so much tell me who to vote for, but what's a process so that as I consider who to vote for, I'm not marinating in the junk and the toxicity of our political process, but I'm actually going through a process that's edifying for me and edifying for the people that maybe I'm, I'm thinking about this in community with. And so when I wrote my first book, um, Reclaiming Hope, right before it uh, was published in January 2017, as part of like the um, promotional side leading up to it, I released uh, with, and it's published by Thomas Nelson, so shout out to Nelson Books, uh, published a, a guide, five questions Christians should ask before they vote. Uh, and it's something I've used ever since then. And it's, uh, it's meant to uh, be questions without sort of political manipulation. I mean, you know, we have these voter guides in, in churches put out by advocacy groups that are like, you know, here are some things to consider. And oddly enough, uh, the, the questions so-called or the issues that are covered are all like, you know, one side is evil, the other side is fantastic. You know, make your choice. Um, I thought Christians could use five questions that anyone from any po any political perspective could ask, and there isn't one way to answer them. The idea is to do this in community, and, and it will help you consider uh, how to steward your vote in a way that is grounded in love of God and, and neighbor. And so what we thought we'd do on this episode, with the midterms coming up, early voting will start relatively soon. Yeah, that's right. And so we thought we'd give, we'd give folks, um, we talk through these questions, yep. and hopefully they'll be of, of aid to you. Uh, so, Melissa, before we sort of get into the questions, just like, how, how do you think about voting and sort of, like what do, what do you feel uh, as as you go to vote uh, come election time? Well, one of the first things that I do is when I'm considering who I'm voting for and why, and you know making that final decision whether it's one candidate, several candidates, is I think about how I'm going to follow through with that vote. That I'm not not just going to go to the ballot box and check off somebody and then absolve myself of what happens after that. And so that, that informs a lot of 
my decision making and how I think about my vote, but really it comes out of how can I best influence the good of my community through my vote? How can I love my neighbor as best as I can through my vote? Yeah, that's that's good. So, you know, I, I think one of the things that's crushing for people is the view that the vote is like this pure expression of will mm-hmm. that the vote is sort of this unmediated expression of your voice and unfortunately you know many of the vote campaigns mm-hmm. are you know get out the vote campaigns are precisely messaged in this way which is like make your voice heard uh, mm-hmm. you know, vote in this election. The problem with that messaging and the problem with thinking about your vote in that way is that the vote is probably the least personal, mm-hmm. l- least personalized way that you could speak into the political process. Mm-hmm. It's potential, probably the most fundamental, but when you vote between candidates, say for Congress, uh, you're not voting between options you ch- you chose yourself alone. Your very vote is influenced and 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 set up long before you touch it by a whole range of factors. Obviously, the primary, but even a whole range of decisions and machinations that happen before the primary. And so, one of the most helpful things I found to to help to, to sort of help people relieve themselves of some of the crushing burden they feel like they can't they can't vote unless they completely identify uh, with the candidate they're voting for is that the vote is not an unmediated expression of your will your vote is how how you choose to steward the limited influence you have uh, in choosing between choices that were not decided by you. So that would be the first thing. That would be the first thing I'd say. Politics is not about self-expression, primarily. It's, it's, not, it's not about sort of... Um, politics is done in community, mm-hmm. by definition. And so I would just relieve folks of, of that, that feeling. All right, let's, let's get to the, the, the five questions the first question is what are you passionate about sometimes uh, when both with with this question and question number two people are sometimes uh, sort of taken a taken aback like oh i get to consider my my passions mm-hmm. uh and yes you, you know, and I think those who, and we'll talk about this a bit with the next question as well, but but yes, you are, you are, a, a, there's no other citizen like you. And, and if you have a life that's ordered around various uh, interests, various uh, um, uh, sort of service opportunities, various passions 
then you, you, you're, in order to be an integrated person, you need to take stock of those passions and think about how they intersect with our political life and political choices. And so, you know, the first thing is, you know, what are your pa- what are you passionate about, and wh- what are some of the defining features of of your experience of your life? Um, did your family benefit from food stamps growing up? And what does that tell you? Have you participated in advocacy on a particular issue? Uh, is your job, is your vocation related to a political issue or set of issues? And where do the candidates stand on those issues? And so that that's the first question of, Melissa, what are you passionate about? And I, I think one way to work through this conversation is to ask you, Melissa, <laughs> you know, how, how you would respond to these questions. You know, at this point in time, I think folks' answers to these questions, you know, that vary over correct. over time. But, you know, as you think about, you know, that question, you know, what are, what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, there, mine has changed, especially recently. There's one that's been steady for a long time, and nobody should be surprised about this. But if we're talking about a congressional election or a presidential election, so less less on the localized side. Um, foreign policy is huge for me because I mean that's that's my field, and so I care I care a lot about um, if we're involved in any wars, um, our diplomatic relations, uh, just how we conduct ourselves globally. But two others that have really come up into like the second and third spot or, you know, on par with that first one is healthcare and climate change. Um, for me, uh, with healthcare, the healthcare costs in this country, especially with um, inflation where it's at, I just think that there are far too many families who are experiencing hardships because of the cost of healthcare. And so, and it's, and it especially showed itself um, with COVID during the pandemic. And it seems that with how the pandemic has lasted, that it's really put a strain on the entire system. Um, even if we're not talking about the costs, so that has moved up for me recently. And then I'm also quite passionate about, like I said, climate change, and that we are seeing so many more disasters, especially over this last year. These heat waves, these droughts. Um, how storms have gotten stronger and how they're, I mean, the floods in Pakistan, a third of the country is underwater and they don't know if it will come back. A third of a country is gone already. Yeah. And so for me, I think that it's one of the most urgent problems right now. And so I named those three. There are several other things that I think about, or issue areas that I definitely think about, like, gun violence and I'm education and there's many others but if I were to right now in this podcast family policy yes yes with um paid leave paid leave parental leave yeah very passionate about that um so I I could go through those others but for the sake of the podcast I'll just list pregnancy discrimination yep yep we just we're we've been promoting this bill Mm -hmm. that the center for public justice has been lifting up on workplace protections yeah, for pregnant women, pregnant workers, uh, and and so that uh, um, so so th- that's so helpful, Melissa. I, I I think it's 
and and the point is not uh, think think about what your passions are. You know, th- think about uh, think about what what motivates uh, what motivates you. I will say one thing before we move on to the next question, which is it's helpful to do a gut check. Think about what you were passionate about two years ago mm-hmm. or four years ago. And ask yourself if um, if your being um, if your passions are influencing how how you address politics, or if the passions of our politics are influencing how you consider yourself and your priorities, and mm-hmm. I say that to mean. I know some people who, it just in my life, just as a matter, just just experience, and you could you could follow this in polls too, which is uh, if the candidate they like or the political party that they typically vote for is emphasizing an issue, mm-hmm. uh, completely apart from whether that issue is any more relevant in this election than it was the last election. All of a sudden, whatever their politician is talking about, all of a sudden, that's a passion of theirs. That's mm-hmm. that's the thing they really they really care about, uh, and um, it's a good gut check to like. You might even want to, as you're going through these questions, you might want to take notes and put it somewhere so that you can return to what your answers were in 2022, in 2024, in 2026. Uh, now, sometimes change is, is good. You've learned mm-hmm. new things. New yep. things are important. You've picked up new passions. Situations have changed. Yeah, but uh, other times you may find, hey, I didn't care about, I didn't think this was a problem two years ago. I, now... You know, if people ask me what I'm concerned about in this election, I say, I say, you know, issue. Uh, I, I say that issue. Is, am I really responding to the needs of uh, the, the circumstances of the day, or the needs of my community, or what's actually most pressing in our politics, or am I actually unwittingly being led by the priorities of politicians who just n- need my vote to get what they want? Relatedly, I want to mention one last facet of all this especially with this particular exercise of identifying your passions and having that help you inform your vote, is that I see this a lot, especially on social media, but even in real life or in the workplace, where you can be guilted into caring about everything um, or told that you need to be passionate about A, B, or C issue or you're uh, an uncaring person or you're not doing well, you're not trying hard enough, things like that. Um, and caring about everything leads to a lot of fatigue and a lot of burnout. People, I feel like, are constantly talking about how burned out they are because of the world. And part of it is because we're trying to be passionate about way too many things. Whereas I think that with this type of exercise, it allows you to really hone in on some things that you feel like this is where I could steward my influence the most and my vote the most. Yeah, so I think there's some merit to that. The other part of this is that that is so often just a manipulative tactic. Yes. Because, and this is why I opened up with, it's important not to think of your vote primarily as 
a mode of self-expression mm-hmm. because look, you only have one boat. And so often what happens, so what, what happens when people are say, uh, you know, why, if you aren't voting on this issue, you don't care about it because if you did vote on quote unquote, vote on that issue in the way they, the, the person, you know, saying this wants you to, then you're not voting on anything else, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so it's all, if you get anything from this episode, I want, I want you to exhale, chill out and, and, uh, and, and, um, free yourself from the burden of all the political psychology and manipulation that is only going to increase between now and the midterms. And these questions will help you distance yourself a bit from that chatter and actually figure out how you, uh, in discernment with community, with the Holy Spirit, in prayer, uh, are going to steward the vote you have, which isn't everything, likely won't decide an election, but it's the influence you have. And so as Christians, we want to steward the influence we have well. All right. The second question, how would the candidates meet your needs? What is your self-interest? And as I alluded to with the first question, this question gets me, uh, uh, sometimes it gets me real pushback. Christians shouldn't think about their self-interest at all. And for those of you who have followed my work, uh, I, I'm someone who's uh, written uh, over and over again. It's a central message of my work that politics is an essential forum in which you can love your neighbor. And I believe that. I also believe that if you don't actively identify what your self-interest is, what I've seen is uh, people will traffic their self-interest just and pretend it's someone else's and that they don't really have a stake in the election. So uh, it's helpful if you identify your self-interest, then you're able to identify, well, what interests are counter to my self-interest? What what way of thinking? If you identify explicitly, what is what are what is my interest in this election? It actually helps you to better see how you could steward your vote for the interests of others with a, a preference for those uh, who are uh, what Howard Thurman would call disinherited, those who are the least of these. And so, it, you know, the basic fact remains that your vote is your vote and no one else is going to vote for you. Uh, and so consider your self-interest. Is work-family balance going to be important to you? Are uh, uh, taxes and regulations affecting small businesses going to be important to you? How about how the government supports elder care? Uh, and so, Melissa, you know, as you think about where you are in life, you know, what's what are some key aspects of sort of your your self-interest, when you think about your personal interests as you go to vote. We live in Maryland. Uh, it's a midterm, so so we'll be able to vote for 
Congress, I believe, uh, our Senate, Van Hollen is up. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, in, in our state, as well as... As uh, our governor. As well as our governor and uh, local offices. What are some key aspects of sort of, sort of self-interest uh, from, from your perspective? Well, we have two kids. And as a mother, a lot of my self-interests are tied up in our family and in our kids. And so I'm interested because our one daughter is in childcare right now and the other one will be eventually. I'm interested in what kind of childcare policies and subsidies um, that can be enacted as well as I've been pregnant before, if not pregnant now, I benefited from incredible parental leave and I'm very interested in others having that same experience as me. But also, um, like we were talking about before with um, pregnancy discrimination, also very interested in that issue. And then, you know, I had said climate change and a lot of a lot of my interest in climate change comes out of the fact that I'm thinking of my two daughters and the world that they're going to grow up in and become adults in and, and hopefully live to an old age with their grandkids. Um, I'm thinking about that world specifically for them. Um, and <laughs> on the healthcare end of things, uh, I mean, when Alaria, right before she was born, we lost our coverage for about five weeks and I had to calculate out how much that pregnancy would cost if we didn't get our coverage back. And it was an eye-watering amount. And I had seen our bills before, before, you know, the health, uh, you know, whatever health insurance you have calculates out how much they get a discount on. But actually facing the numbers, it was wild. And so I have different self-interests there in terms of um, the cost of health care and the quality of care, um, especially because we are getting older, you and me, Michael, as well. Oh, goodness. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't know that exercise was gonna bring up my my aging process. <laughs> Just like unsubscribe. Yeah, unsubscribe. <laughs> uh, well, well, Melissa, those are. I mean, this is why I married you. You have such a generous uh, heart. So ma- so many of the issues you raise are self interest. Uh, were you, you were like, I, I want people to experience the great benefits I had. That that's very good. I really want to like free people up. Believe me, you're going to have the opportunity in later questions to to think about others. It's really important that you get explicit about what your self-interest is. So, like, is there a candidate promising uh, transportation measures that will make your commute to work easier uh, or will make your commute to work harder? And if you're thinking about that, in the like, st- state that out loud. This is the opportunity for you to write all the self-interested things that are on your mind that you think could be influenced by the the election. I promise you, no one's gonna scold you. That th- This is the question. What's your self-interest? How are the candidates gonna meet uh, uh, your needs and uh, improve your life uh, uh, specifically? And so, y- you know, if, if you're uh, a small business owner and you want small business uh, taxes, uh, uh, and, and and cutting small business taxes would benefit you. That's something to, to be explicit about. And again, sort of the idea here is if we aren't explicit about our self-interest, we can traffic it uh, uh, as if uh, we're completely detached from the policy. Oh, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people would... And, 
I mean, just I think this happens a lot in our politics. That you know, it would it would be really helpful to those uh, struggling to pay off student loans uh, if they got canceled. And you're wondering the whole time, well, does the speaker have student loans? Like, 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 is is this a is this a totally altruistic thing, or is self interest involved? And we we need to state that explicitly when we vote. It will help us think through our vote more clearly, both what we're voting for and maybe some impulses that we want to uh, that we want to guard against. Uh, and so that that's the second question. Again, how would the candidates meet your needs? So. First question, what are you passionate about? Second question, how would the candidates uh, meet your needs? What is your self-interest? The third question, how will the candidates meet the needs of your community? And so we've been explicit about our self-interest. This is an opportunity for you to assess the needs of your community with with what the Catholics call a preferential option for the poor, for the disinherited. What are those uh, who whose lives will be most affected by the decisions government makes, who, who, who are most sort of vulnerable? What are, how will the candidates meet their needs and the needs of our, our broader our broader uh, community. Uh, we should think about our self-interest. The duty for Christians is to not only think of our self-interest, but to think about, to approach politics in an other-centered way as well, where our interests aren't the sole focus in our political imagination. And so, you know, are your neighbors struggling right now? Is crime uh, an issue where you live? Are children receiving a subpar education simply because of where they live? Is the foster care system in your county operating in a, well, in a way that respects the dignity of the children who are in it? Are there children waiting for uh, adoption? Are there kids aging out of the foster care system. Again, politics can and should be a forum for Christians to express their love for their neighbors. And government can either perpetuate injustice or it can be a partner uh, in furthering justice. And so, Melissa, as you think about sort of where, where, where you live um, uh, and as... I think the last thing I'd add is this question is not to be answered totally in isolation. So be attentive to local news. Be attentive to local nonprofits in your mm -hmm. in your area. Um, listen to what folks are saying in your local church and in the ministry partners of your local church in in your city. Uh, these aren't. You know, these ministry partners that, that local churches have uh, aren't just supposed to be uh, places where resources go from the local church out to these ministries, but we can, uh, the, the local church can benefit from the knowledge that these ministries have that feeds back into the life of the local church. Uh, and so 
so I did want to sort of say that, uh, Melissa, I know you're, you're attentive to what happens uh, here in Baltimore, though we've mm -hmm. only lived here for, for a bit. Um, how will, what are some of the issues that you think, you think the community's uh, facing uh, here in Baltimore that, that uh, you know, intersect with, with political decisions? Yeah, I, as soon as you brought up this particular question, I immediately thought of Baltimore, where we live. And this question is especially helpful for, you know, when I'm considering our, our vote for governor in November. You know, Baltimore is Maryland's biggest city. Um, Baltimore is often in the news for a lot of the wrong reasons, even though we love it here. We think Baltimore is probably one of the best places we've ever lived. Um, we're rooting for it so hard, but it, you know, the issues that it's fa it faces, so much poverty. So I'm concerned about the level of poverty in the city, um, the lack of access to services, um, and sort of local government in Baltimore being way too stretched to be able to serve people who are in need. The opioid crisis in Baltimore is absolutely rampant. Um, the quality of education is also quite low, again, just because kids happen to be born in a certain neighborhood. Um, and so I think about, and housing as well is a huge issue in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, which then, you know, goes, and a lot of these issues then lead to the safety issues that Baltimore experiences because they stem from such high rates of poverty. Um, so the gun violence in the city is just, it, it's it's not it's not great it you know people are saying that it looks like the wire again um and so i want a lot of the root causes addressed for that and i don't want a governor who is going to look at that community and say actually i'm going to implement a b or c policy that's not you know actually trying to address those other issues that i've mentioned first so i think yeah. about things in that way because i think that that is actually what the community that we know is asking for at this time. Yeah, no, that's that's helpful. And so, you know, where do, where do you live? Where are the points of need in your immediate surrounding community? In uh, the broader sort of, you know, if it's Senate, think about your state. If it's Congress, uh, Congress, think about the district. If it's City Council, think about. The, the breadth, the or, or the the the, I mean, city councils are different. They have different. Some city council members represent portions of the city. Some represent sort of our district, our citywide. But you know, think about the jurisdiction that the official you're voting for represents. Uh, think about you know, needs. Uh, even you know, obviously, members of Congress vote for legislation that affects the whole country. And so, think about. Mm -hmm. Where some of the greatest need is uh, across the country, even mm -hmm. outside of the district that you're that you're voting for, mm -hmm. because your your member of Congress is going to be able to to speak into and influence that. And so, just to recap, just because I want to make it easy for for uh, y'all to to follow to ask these questions yourselves, so I'll I'll keep sort of repeating these questions. First question: you know, What are you passionate about? What what have been the experiences of of your life? that shape your your political outlook. Second, how would the candidates meet your needs? What is your specific self-interest uh, in the various elections that you're, uh, uh, that you're voting in? A third, how will the candidates meet the needs of your community? 
So what is the interest of those who are not you, who are not your kin? Uh, what are the interests uh, and the, the greatest needs of the community in which you are a part with particular attention towards those who are most vulnerable, those whose uh, needs are sort of at the greatest sort of stake uh, uh, in, in our political life and, and, and in elections. Fourth question, how will the candidates affect our culture? And Melissa, this is something, as you know, I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Our political culture is not going to change unless political culture becomes a voting issue. And mm -hmm. I just feel so strongly about Preach. this. It doesn't mean that we should be voting solely on affect. That's why this isn't the uh, only question. It's one of five. But it's a question that's important to ask. Politics is not just uh, the summation of votes or uh, it, it, its uh, political culture is deeply influential. Uh, the, the way a candidate carries themselves, the, uh, themselves, the way that they act, what their values are, what their character is, determines the kind of job they'll do and the kind of person they will be in office. Again, this question doesn't necessarily settle uh, who to vote for, uh, but if it's being discarded, uh, then I think we're making we're making a mistake. Politics are about more than just st statistics and policy outcomes. Politics are a primary shaper of our culture. And so, some of the sort of sub questions you could ask is, you know, do, do the candidates you're considering? Uh, the candidates you have to choose from, do they call their voters to a mindset of scarcity or compassion? Do they inspire fear or hope? Do they promote the profane or the decent? Um, do, how do they treat those who disagree with them? Do they, do they treat their own political views uh, as sort of setting the standard for what makes for a decent American or a decent Ohioan or do they do they have a horizon that's that's bigger than just their personal policy convictions uh, and so you know Melissa th this is kind of a question that can only be asked you know uh, is contextual you know it, it, it's, sure. it's it's who the candidates are but talk a little bit about sort of what aspects of political culture sort of make you hopeful and what aspects of political culture, um, you know, make you make you concerned and do you not want to, you know, incentivize with your vote? Uh, in terms of like conduct approach that gives me hope is that I have found it helpful. I have found it to be humanizing, especially when we place politicians on a pedestal, or we were at least taught to for so long, is that when politicians actually emote and show that they are really passionate or care about an issue through emotions and through appeals that feel at least sincere, um, you know, I can think about you know, various candidates who you see them on the trail and they actually take the time to talk to someone 
and might shed a tear or two with them because they've been, you know, told a story from that, you know, potential voter that, you know, is heartbreaking or, you know, troubling. I think that we're seeing that a lot more in the past, I would say, you know, decade, that kind of um, authenticity that I think a lot of people crave and helps us again. My main goal with this is to humanize the politician so that we, our brain is not putting that politician on the pedestal, which then leads to a lot of the times the idealization, the idolization of that politician and their policies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So to be clear, when you, so I know exactly what you're saying, which is politicians who bring a a humanity to their, to their, to, to their, their role and a sort of, uh, what's at least seems to be sort of a sincere commitment to to, to service just because just people have different connotations with a moat and I know we talk about this all the time what you're not talking about is performative politicians no. who are who are always manufacturing sort oh, of yeah, no. outrage or no. or various sort of emotional I'm, responses yeah I'm talking about John Kasich when he was in that town hall who comforted a voter yes called him over it and hugged him was visibly moved by that potential voter I'm talking about and responded in a way that arguably, is against his political interests or yep. at the very least didn't use the moment in the obvious way to shine the spotlight back on himself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about President Biden when he speaks of his son, Bo. I'm talking about President Obama um, getting very emotional at the, uh, the funeral for the church in um the the, the charleston Charleston for the for the shooting victims in charleston i'm talking about moments like that yeah yeah and now in terms of what doesn't give me hope well uh, one of the things that actually um because we're reading through this document and this and this document is um from 2017 so it's about five years old 2016 2016 oh that's right so six years old and first of all it shows how great this process is that this process is completely and utterly usable today as it just as usable as it was back in you know 2017 when it was released um but the third bullet do they promote the profane or the decent (laughs) and it's really funny how over the last six years how common um and this is going to be probably a controversial point that i'm about to make there there are going to be quite a few listeners who will disagree with michael and i on this one but there it's it's very funny how used to we have gotten uh, how we've gotten used to um cussing or swearing by by politicians and it's funny uh i was this is this is an aside that makes that will make an that will make a point the other day, um, I was reading somebody who is a fashion expert, and somebody asked them a question about like um, some of the fashions that came in about three years ago, about in like mom jeans and things like that, and how they're now they're so popular. And the woman said, "Well, three years ago they weren't as popular because people had to get used to the idea of mom jeans again being cool." But she said something. She goes, "The eye adjusts," and I feel like there's that same sense here that the mind, the eye, the ears, it adjusts. And so mm. when things become uh, more frequent and more and therefore mm. and not called out as often, they become more accepted. And at a time when there when there are a lot of Americans, a lot of voters who feel really angry 
and really displaced and don't like the politics they're seeing, don't like the, you know, what the government is doing, don't like what their fellow citizens are doing or thinking, what their neighbor is talking about, whatever, their coworker, that there aren't many avenues to express that anger in, civically. And so language, you know, the language, which is just sort of the basis of any culture, is one way to express that anger. So a lot of people would say, okay, that politician just you know dropped an F-bomb, but they were righteously angry. Um, that was righteous anger. And so why, you know, why are you scolding them for, you know, swearing about the fact that, you know, uh, children are getting, you know, shot up in schools, um, just to give an example. And, um, Michael, you and I have discussed this a lot offline about how uh, we completely and utterly understand that righteous anger, but things like cursing, swearing lead to a coarsening of our politics that you can't quite get back. And trying to um, decipher between what is righteous and what is not can become very gray, very murky, very fast. Right. And so, and, I mean, look, we don't need to go down. We don't need to go down the 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 rabbit hole of this conversation. But I am glad that you raised it because the other piece of the, this thing that just gets under my my skin is that uh, the, some of the people who are like, oh, you know, that's just righteous anger. Uh, don't trust anything from the 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 other side the other side the, the, they could uh they could lose their cat could die in a house fire and if they were sad they would say oh they're just doing that for votes and yet mm-hmm. when it's when it's your when it's your candidate when it's an issue you care about oh that was you know genuine and, and let me tell you like um there has been there has been a robust conversation over the last few years uh, really over the last six, seven years, that if only, I mean, let's just be explicit about what we're talking about. If only, if Democrats would use harsher language, if they would, if they would, uh, if they would swear more, if they would use more visceral language, they'd connect with uh, a certain demographics of voters uh, in the same way that Trump did. And usually uh, what they mean is working class or poor voters. Right. So which... so first, it's it's <laughs> a very elitist, uh, patronizing sentiment that won't work in the way they think it will work and hasn't worked in the, th- in the way they think it will work. But what it also suggests is, like, look, if there are some exceptions, but if you put a cuss word in your fundraising email that's not a spur of the moment thing that's a decision that's a campaign decision that's being made for the benefit of the campaign weeks prior weeks prior i tell a story in my book about uh, a campaign uh i was urging the campaign not to put a, a, a swear word in the subject line of a uh, of a fundraising email the response I got back was not from the communications folks, not from, it was from the data folks that said, we have evidence that if we use this word, 
there will we'll get a, a two percentage more a, a two percentage higher click rate. So you know so much of so yeah. So again, I said I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole, but we did. But um, that's why this political culture question is is so important, which is that campaigns are generally orchestrated an or a campaign is an orchestrated series of intentional actions towards the uh, towards the end of winning uh, winning an election and so uh, we want to think carefully about both in the policy stances candidates take but also in their means of communication in the kinds of uh, sort of the cultural outputs of a campaign, whether we want to incentivize or disincentivize uh, those those outputs, and so that that's a, that, that's that's why political that that's part of the reason why uh, political culture matters. Again, the, the, you don't vote sort of. Uh, there are five questions. There could be twenty. These aren't the only five questions that matter. They're all meant to point you uh, in the direction of a healthy process of um, uh, figuring out what your uh, motivations are and the actual sort of criteria you want to think about when you're voting. All, all right, let's let's go to the fifth question again. So we've talked about what are you passionate about? Uh, what is your self-interest? How will the candidates meet your needs? How will the candidates meet the needs of your community? How will the candidates affect uh, political uh, culture? And then the fifth question, uh, which requires, I think, less discussion. If your vote determines the outcome of the election, would you regret how you voted? And the purpose of this question is, is just another way to help relieve the burden of you, you know this candidate doesn't perfectly express my my entire being uh you know and it asks the really probably uh, really one of the primary questions that voting is asking generally uh which is you only have one vote it's it's as influential as one vote is and the most influence that one vote can be uh, is if it's the deciding vote. And so the, the question is, if if your vote determine, so the other point of this question is, take self-expression out of it. <laughs> if your vote determined the outcome of the election, how would you have wanted to vote? Uh, I, I'm not someone who thinks too highly of voting to send sort of, a message, especially insofar as if your vote actually decided the election, it sends a message that you wouldn't want to send, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, to to decide it in a way that isn't the best way that you you think it could be decided. Um, and so, 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 so that's the that's the question. Uh, if your vote were the only one that mattered, would you regret how you cast it? Or would you still be glad you cast your vote in the way you did, Melissa? Any, obviously, this isn't a question you could answer, but just any 
any thoughts on, on that, that, that fifth question? Yes. As I was sitting here thinking, this fifth and final question can be a difficult exercise, um, trying to really put yourself in the shoes of others and also try to think about what your vote would be more like in a vacuum. You know, if you were the final vote to decide, would you regret it? I think that this exercise in general would be great to do if you have a teenager or preteen in your life. Um, I think it would be good exercise for them to start at a younger age to be thinking about their vote in this way because I think thinking about your vote in this way is a muscle to exercise. I don't think it's something that you learn overnight, um, especially in a culture that has taught you to vote in the sort of with the completely opposite intentions. It would be good to go through with your kids for them and also to hold you accountable, especially on this fifth and final question. Yeah, no, that's good, Melissa. Um, so I, I hope those questions are helpful for you. Uh, since I published this back in 2016, I've heard from so many churches and uh, leaders, even not, I know nonprofit leaders who have taken their staff through these questions. Um, and so I hope they're, hope they're helpful I uh, hope they're helpful to you. Um, I'll just, Melissa, I'll just read from the last page of, uh, of this. Uh, so this is what I wrote in 2016. Uh, I decided to produce this questionnaire after, seeking, after speaking about politics and Christian faithfulness at a number of colleges over the last several years. The students I met were earnest and reflective, sincerely thinking about their political obligations in light of their faith. Many were also anxious or cynical, questioning whether their voices even mattered. Politics cannot be left to the cynics and the power-hungry. Those students, indeed, all people who want a better politics, have to make it so. Your vote matters. Uh, as I noted earlier, the questions in this document are not the only ones you should ask before voting, but these are designed to point in a direction in contrast with the manipulative hand-wringing that defines so much of the current rhetoric around voting. Your vote should not be a reactive, emotional response, but rather an act of civic responsibility. Your vote should be an expression of your love of God, your neighbor, and your desire to see your community flourish. Your vote can and should be informed by who you are and what you care about. Politics will change when those who are disappointed with it decide to get involved, to hold politicians accountable, and to maintain their commitment to principle over partisan gamesmanship. You really do have the ability to contribute. You really can make a difference. Our politics needs you. And uh, I believe those words today as we head into another election. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, uh, you, uh, I think you believe those words too. You're certainly uh, living them out. And so I'm grateful for you. I hope these questions have been helpful. Uh, as a reminder, you can always reach out to us with your questions, your comments. Uh, we received so many uh, great questions for the uh, episode we're planning where we'll uh, respond to your questions. There's still time to get questions in, and you could do that over social media, um, over uh, Instagram or Twitter. 
Uh, would love to get your questions for uh, for that episode. And uh, and yeah, that that's the episode for this week. Uh, have to say, you know, I'm, we're gonna close with the Bills until the Bills lose, which might take a while. So go Ooh. Bills, squish the fish. Yeah, squish the fish. And uh, and we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. On this week's episode of Where We Are, does the mere thought of voting make you want to go into a cryogenic chamber and not wake up until we have a new system of government that doesn't force us to make such awful choices? (laughs) If so, do we have a... Episode for you! you. (laughs) On this week's episode of Where We Are, does the mere thought of voting make you want to leave planet Earth and... Go join the James Webb Telescope out in the great deep dark void of space. Then do we have an episode for you? (laughs) Was that corny enough? (laughs) I'm just imagining the new episodes of the Webb Telescope just being politically homeless, anxiety-ridden Christians. so much of people yeeted out to Andromeda. Wait, did you just say the new episodes of the Webb Telescope? I did. Does I the meant images. Have a podcast. I, I meant images. Beep boop beep boop. It's <laughs> 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 the James Webb Space Telescope podcast. Beep boop beep boop beep boop beep boop. <laughs> On this week's episode of Where We Are, does the mere thought of voting give you the runs? <laughs> Does does choosing between the available options make you want to clench your cheeks? (laughs) (laughs) Michael and Melissa Ware have just the thing to... (laughs) (laughs) Are we on modium? Uh...